Super Talk Mississippi media production. Taylor Swift is coming to New Orleans, and Margaritaville Resort Biloxi and Super Talk are giving away a free pair of tickets. For your chance to win, go register now at Margaritaville Resort Biloxi and get your name in for the final drawing from Margaritaville and Super Talk 103.1. He's the former president and publisher of the Sun-Herald, and now he's on the radio. Welcome to Coast View with Ricky Matthews on Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1. Welcome back to Coast View. I really enjoyed that conversation with Rob Stinson. Uh, he's such a, well, first of all, he's a terrific guy and so committed to coastal Mississippi, both through his restaurants, his entrepreneurial efforts. Uh, his uh, his membership of the board for Coastal Mississippi Tourism and any number of ways, other ways that he helps this community. But you have to have strong leaders like that to make a community like Coastal Mississippi tick. And when we talk about the ability for us to bounce back after disasters, whether it be something like Katrina or whether it be something like the pandemic, it takes great leaderships. It, it takes, as I said uh, last week, it takes the ability to, to see hope when there's despairs. It's the ability to see light where there where there may be darkness, and um, and it's that positive leadership that that kind of lifts everyone up, that helps us move forward in in incredible ways and find new ways to do things. So, uh, going back to uh, Maya Angelou's quote, we're not going to be reduced by the adversity we uh, we face. We may be changed, but not reduced. And change in positive ways. Our ability to to bounce back gets even better honed. As we go forward. So, you know, when I think about resiliency, you can't help but think about the Or O'Keefe Museum of Art in Biloxi. What they had to go through after Katrina was truly remarkable. And um, I had the opportunity to visit with David Houston, the executive director from the Or O'Keefe Museum, shortly after he uh, joined uh, that fine institution. But he's been in that seat for a few months now. So I'm looking forward to revisiting with him. So, David, how are you doing this morning? Oh, doing very well. Thank you for the opportunity to join you again, Rick. Well, you know, when you and I talked, we, uh, you know, I, I, I loved visiting with directors from the museums because you have such a great sense of the way art connects us to our sense of place here. And in the case of the Orr O'Keefe Museum, you've got this, you know, the mad potter of Biloxi, George Orr. And uh, and you also have one of the greatest architects in the world, and Frank Gehry, his whimsical designs that that resulted in that campus that you you're able to go to every day. But you know the, that and the Pleasant Reed House and the African American art and all the things that you're doing there, you know, gives us such a great sense of place, doesn't it? Oh, it certainly does. And the campus itself and being located right on the Gulf has really been an advantage to us because I talk to my colleagues all the time and a lot of them had to completely close down. Of course, we closed during the initial phases, but starting in July, we could open because we have five buildings um, joined by an outdoor plaza. So we could have a few people here, a few people there, and maintain operations when my colleagues with a single building um, opened only recently. That yeah. helps too. You know, it's so interesting though. At the time, when I was publisher of the Sun-Herald, uh, I was among those who, who through editorials and sort of a, a louder voice, felt like 
the location there on the beach was where it needed to rebuild as opposed to moving it into downtown Biloxi. There's some efforts to do that. And I know that there were issues related to insurance. There, there were a lot of issues that were swirling. At the time, though, we could have never imagined, though, that the campus and the way that Frank Gehry was so determined to have that campus laid out the way that it is now laid out, with these collection of buildings, you know, connected by, you know, the, the walkways and the, the, the incredible oak trees there, you know, with the view to the south. We could have never really imagined that it would play out in the way that it has played out in the pandemic, but it certainly has created a competitive advantage, hasn't it? Oh, definitely so. And people, um, you know, they're confident coming here. We can distance a lot of it. We do outside and we have events out of doors. And we have actually seen in the last month and a half increased numbers. Not only increased numbers this year, but I started doing com some comparisons two years ago at this time. Um, our numbers are higher now than they were then. And I think people are looking for things to do where they feel safe, things that are relaxing, that give them some sense of normality. There's no doubt about that. There, There is no doubt about that. I had, um, had lunch with my sister and my granddaughter over in downtown Ocean Springs recently, and it's been about maybe three weeks ago now. But you could sit with the vaccine started to take started starting to take hold. You could really see that people had kind of a you know a peppiness in their step as they walked through downtown. You saw more people, more families together. And um, as uh, I was talking about with Rob Stinson in that last segment, Rob said, you know, when people come into the restaurant, you can just see a change of attitude for those who have had you know been fully vaccinated. They feel like they can get out now. But even before people felt vaccinated, the competitive advantage for the Ori Museum was that so many people came here to coastal Mississippi in their cars, over 80%. We knew that was going to be a great opportunity for us. They felt safe in their cars. Driving along the beach, either they had done their homework on the internet to say, okay, where can we go visit safely? And the Ori Museum would be one of those places that popped up. Or maybe they're just driving by and see these amazing buildings and say, what is that? You know, let's serendipitously, let's go see what this is all about. You've probably seen it all, but even before the vaccine took hold or began to take hold, you were sort of one of those places that people felt safe, you know, <clears throat> that they could go to. Um, wearing masks, socially distancing, doing all the things that you did there to make it a safe place to visit. And now that the vaccine's starting to take hold, you're already beginning to see your numbers start to climb, aren't you? That's true. And we've opened a whole range of, of new exhibitions, one of them specifically responding to the, the COVID pandemic. Um, an artist, Randy Palumbo, a young up-and-comer out of New York City, um, has made a piece that is based on the molecule of the virus. And there are four hanging orbs that hang from our 24-foot ceiling, and they are hit um, with various colors of light that changes over several minutes. And so what he has done is taken something horrific and made it a thing of beauty and a totally engaging environment with light circulating over the floor walls and ceiling. And we have a couple of bean bags in there, and especially young people are just mesmerized by it. You know, I, I shared this last week with uh, with in my conversation with John Ferrucci, but it's by Jada DeWalt. She's who said it, but she said, when we learn how to become resilient, 
we learn how to embrace the beautifully broad spectrum of human experience. You know, this, this exhibits a great example of that. You know, people, they find the light from the darkness. And uh, I didn't know about that, that particular, uh, you know, exhibit, but has it been popular? You know, it sounds like a very interesting exhibit. Well, it's really spreading also by word of mouth, and people sometimes come to the visitor center and ask where to find it as the very first thing. Yeah. Um, we've, we've let our exhibitions take the lead. We have a, a show from a, a Georgia-based artist, Nigel Dorsey, who grew up in the Arkansas Delta, and his show are digital collages about the African-American Southern experience. It's family, friends, historic figures, some fairly large-scale work, very engaging. Um, Luzine Hill, a native artist out of Atlanta, Georgia, has a beautiful um, installation that also hangs from the ceiling with um, hand-cut and hand-sewn silk. Um, Paul Bright, a professor from Wake Forest University, has a sound installation and a very unusual opportunity to look inside one of our metal pod galleries before it's finished. It's completely raw inside, and after talking to Frank's office, I decided I wanted people to have a look at it. So we're using the sound piece to entice people to come in and um, have a look, and it's been quite popular as well. Oh, wow. So, so interesting. So, hey, give, give people who have not been to the Orr Museum a chance to understand what they'll see when they get there. So they park in the parking lot. They walk up to the, to the main building. Um, just kind of give them a sense of what they should expect. Sure. Um, you're right across from the Gulf of Mexico and a, and a major boat launch. So there's a free show right across the street with the comings and goings. But... Um, we're a campus with five separate buildings joined by a brick plaza. So you meander up this walkway into the Mississippi Sound Welcome Center, and that's where um, you can go to the gift shop, you can see the exhibitions in there, um, get something from my restaurant making groceries, or get a ticket and wander around. And the beauty of this museum is there's no single way to experience it. You can go up top um, and enjoy the architecture and the view of the Gulf from our upper deck, or you can start and go from gallery to gallery. And like I say, there's no single path through. Um, we have two exhibitions, um, two galleries with changing exhibitions in them, and they change every three to four months. Let's do this, uh, David. We're coming to the end of this segment. We'll pick it up right there, uh, sure. talking about the uh, visitor's experience when they come to the Orr O'Keefe Museum. We'll talk a little bit more about George Orr the Potter. Who is this guy, and what made his pot pottery so unique? You can also and, listen uh, live to Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1 on your Amazon Alexa devices. Once you've enabled the skill, just say, Alexa, open Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast. Talking to the people that help make the coast such a unique place to live. This is Coast View with Ricky Matthews on Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1. Welcome back to Coast View. We're visiting with David Houston, who's the executive director of the Oro Keefe Museum of Art. And uh, when we went to break, we were 
he was telling us what you would experience if you went to the O'Keefe Museum, uh, Museum for the first time. Pick up where you left off, David. Well, we have the two changing exhibition galleries, but what most people come to see is our collection of George Orr. Um, and for those unfamiliar with George Orr, he's a, a, a native um, here. He was um, born in 1857 and died during the um, first pandemic in 1918 at the end of the First World War. and. He was a truly visionary artist, largely self-taught, and he made a lot of things for everyday use. He made, you know, ink wells and, and stove pipes and functional things that people would use in their homes. But what he's best known for today is his visionary, um, hand-thrown, extravagantly structured pots. And some of them are small. Um, they're thin-walled. When you pick them up, it's like um, paper thin. You feel like if you put any pressure on it, you could do some serious damage. But George Orr was never recognized for his talent and his visionary abilities in his lifetime. And it was only after the early 1970s when a, a stringer for antiques came down and went to his son's auto garage and said, I hear there's some old pots here. And he said, yeah, go upstairs. And when he went upstairs, George Orr's entire life's output was in the attic. It was just a sea of pots. So um, the stringer made a deal to buy them all, took them back to New York City, and within a few months had some very, very prominent artists and architects buying George Orr pottery, which a few months before had been in a garage here on the Gulf Coast. And most recently, when the Museum of Modern Art um, installed their new galleries from, from their new edition, George Orr is sitting right beside um, Picasso and a lot of his contemporaries um, in a way that would have been unheard of even 20 years ago. So we're so lucky. You know, we think about renowned artists here in coastal Mississippi. You can't help but think about Walter Anderson and what his impact was. But you hear this story of George Orr, and you realize that this guy was special. I mean, he was certainly the, what we all uh, became, uh, as he was known as the Mad Potter of Biloxi. But you, you talk about the, the thinness of, uh, of his pots, and it was always a kind of a mystery. Uh, maybe they eventually figured this out about where he got his clay from because he could, he could make these really thin-walled uh, pots and then twist them without them tearing. That yeah. was a very unique thing that he was able to do, wasn't it? Well, it was way ahead of its time, and and like I say, he's a homegrown genius who is also a visionary, but he's clever. Like Andy Warhol, he realized if he created this outrageous persona for himself, it would help his business. So he was mad like a fox, but um, multi-talented. He played in the civic band, he was a dancer, he was a wordsmith. Um, just an extraordinary larger-than-life character and he always said that he was making his work for the future and it was prophetic because like I said died in 1918 and really didn't come to the public for until the 1970s and maybe you and I talked about this before but I can't help but think about Robert Johnson the great blues man that wasn't discovered until like 40 years after his death 
uh, it's very interesting that the same uh, story is true for George Orr. He would really enjoy knowing how uh, how known he is today, wouldn't he? Oh, he would he would be mad in a different way, just with <laughs> ecstasy, because um, you know he knew the worth of what he had, and he refused to sell his art pottery piecemeal. He wanted someone to buy it as a body of work and that's exactly what happened um so now he's in some of the most important collections in the world and when you visit frank gary's office out in delray california he has four ore pots sitting on his desk and of course the the movement in gary's architecture is very similar to the movement in ore's pottery and they were kindred spirits the first time frank saw one well, here you here you have this you know world-renowned architect and and Frank Gehry who's uh, designed some of the most known uh, iconic buildings in the world. Who has you know he goes and he gets inspired by these pots that are twisted, and 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 what is born the Oro Keith Museum campus that you see today. It was just kind of the perfect marriage between Frank Gehry and and George Orr, wasn't it? Well, it was, and what we are doing in the coming um, couple of years is we're going to start a series of exhibitions that look at architecture and look at Frank's influence on contemporary architecture and try to draw more attention to the importance of Frank and this building to the Gulf Coast. I'm, I'm really thrilled to hear that. I think that will create even a tighter connection between George Moore and Frank Gehry. What a and they both are incredible, um, uh, you know, have incredible influences on architecture and in, in, in the world, actually. Hey, David Houston, we're out of time, but we'll, we will not wait so long to visit again. We'll stay in touch and be sure that we're up on the latest at the Oral Keith Museum. I appreciate you taking the time. Well, thank you. And um, everyone, please join us um, from 5 to 7 on our third Thursday, the 15th of the month, with Sarah B. Entertaining. So thank you again, Ricky. Okay, my pleasure, David. Have a great day, and we'll see you later. Bye. Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1 on Facebook. Facebook.com slash Super Talk MS Coast 103.1. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.